one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This BOF podcast is brought to you by Cottonworks. Cottonworks is a free online resource equipping you to design and manufacture outstanding cotton products. Find out if you're making one of three common product development mistakes and how to fix it at cottonworks.com forward slash cotton products. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, October 21st. I first met Halima Aden a few years ago when she was a breakout star as the first hijabi model to walk high fashion runways, front major campaigns and magazine covers like Karine Reutfeld's CR fashion book. Then a couple of years ago, Halima announced that she was leaving the industry. I've been wanting to catch up with Halima since then because most recently she's decided that she's making a comeback to fashion, but this time on her own terms. Here's Halima Aden on the BOF podcast. Well, greetings, Halima, Aden. Welcome to the BOF podcast. Where in the world are you today with your beautiful life? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Imran. I'm actually home. So we're talking St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's it's my favorite season. It's fall. It's time to layer up and get warm. So things are going really good here. St. Paul, Minnesota is a very far away place from the fashion world. And it's so cool that you're there because that's actually where your story begins, right? And so 
I wanted to start today by just getting a little bit of the backstory of your life because you know you have such an incredible story about how you and your family ended up in Minnesota in the first place. In a lot of ways, it did start in Minnesota because it was a clean slate and just such a difference to where I came from. And to your audience that maybe haven't heard my story, I was actually born and raised in one of the largest refugee camps in the world in northwestern Kenya. And so you're saying Minnesota is a long way from the fashion world, but really where I started could not be the complete polar opposite of what I ended up doing in my career. And that refugee camp, Halima, do you even remember it at all? Like, do you have any memories of what it was like? I was seven years when we left, you know. It's interesting because from the lens of a child, I can't sit here and say, oh, it was a horrible childhood because in a lot of ways, it was the best childhood that you could give to your kids in terms of showing them what really matters in this world. And when people are stripped of physical, material things, jobs, income, education, we really found a way to create our own community And this camp to this day is still 66% women and children. So we're talking about many mama bears. And I do remember like, even when it came for a time to discipline, my mom did a lot of the work to get me here, but it was also my other mamas that played a big role in my childhood. So it's so amazing to have a nurturing environment, despite it being a refugee camp. And obviously some of the issues that we did have, you know, even for myself, was the bouts of malaria, food insecurity. I didn't have my first pair of shoes until I was seven years old. But it's the scars and the smiles, you know, and sometimes when we reflect on the refugee crisis, it's easy to get lost in the numbers and the statistics and people are coming from a place of lack. Like, look at these refugees. They need tents. They need food rations. They need all these things. But then sometimes the world forgets what refugees do have to offer to the world. And that is an abundance of life experiences. These are people who tackled some of the world's biggest issues. You know, like my mom, she remembers a prosperous Kismayo, Somalia, where she grew up in a port city family were either fishermen or very nomadic in terms of like having cows and sheep and goats. And so to leave that world so abruptly due to the Somali civil war and then find yourself without your family running for your life, walking 12 days on foot to even enter Kenya. And then once she entered Kenya, she doesn't have paperwork. So she was forced to go to the refugee camps. And that's where I was born and raised. And it's a lot to unpack. But I've never heard this woman ever complain or live in self-pity, it's always been ungrateful because God knew I was strong enough to not just go through that, but to rise above it. I know you and I've discussed this before, Halima, but my family's from Kenya too, you know? And so when I first heard your story, I mean, I having spent quite a bit of time there when my parents moved back to Kenya while I was in university and just seeing firsthand some of the challenges that people face on the ground there, it's even more inspiring that you see the positive experiences that come from people who've had to seek refuge from their homes. And you see that in a way, those scars and smiles, as you put it, can actually offer something to the rest of the world. And I think that's a big part of your story. 
How and why did your family end up in Minnesota? Sometimes it's interesting because the question that people ask is, well, why are they all coming here? And the truth is no parent would choose to flee their country, raise their kids in a refugee camp. No parent picks that. But the way it happened for my family is it took seven years of vetting. So we're talking health vetting, background checks, all these programs that you have to go through to even be accepted to come to America. And so one thing that weighed heavy on me is my family was among the one in a million. Quite literally, 99% of refugees don't get to resettle to a country like America. In fact, a lot of them either stay in the camps. Even when I went back, there were people in that camp the day that I was born that are still there. And so it's crazy because we won the million dollar lottery somehow got to relocate to America, but it wasn't all roses and, you know, you don't get to say where you are relocated. I know that it wasn't a choice to land in St. Louis, Missouri. And one of the challenges for me, especially as a child, is granted, my mom took me out of one environment that I was born and raised in that I thought I had so many friends and it was a good childhood. But then to leave that place that I was so familiar with and then to come to St. Louis, Missouri, only to be met with teachers who weren't equipped to teach somebody like myself, who English was not my primary language. In fact, it was my third language, you know. And so I went from speaking fluent Somali and Swahili And all of a sudden, I go to school every day for seven months, not learning a single thing besides how to spell my own name. And my mom saw after seven months of us going to school that we weren't, you know, advancing academically. So she got word that there was a small population of Somalis that have resettled to St. Cloud, Minnesota. Granted, they didn't tell us about the snow, so... (laughs) It was a culture shock, but it was a better opportunity for us because my mom made a promise. She said, I didn't get my kids all the way here for them to end up in prison or not educated and to like fall back into the cycle of poverty that we just escaped from, barely escaped from. And so she quickly relocated us to St. Cloud, Minnesota. She was working two full-time jobs at Jenny O packaging turkeys, you know, and trying to keep us afloat. And even when we did move to St. Cloud, we had to spend the first eight months in town at Anna Marie's. What's Anna Marie's? It's a homeless women and children shelter. And then finally, we found housing through the social programs here in Minnesota. And so I grew up on Section 8. I grew up with the EBT cards and It was motivating, but it was also like, it's such a hard cycle to break. What's kind of amazing, Halima, is that from this place of such struggle and challenge and displacement, that you found a path that you probably never would have imagined for yourself. It's kind of mind blowing what you've been through. And like, that's the real focus of our conversation today. We've spent time in the past talking about your journey into the modeling industry, but that's a story that has become a really important example in many ways for people who have been traditionally excluded by our industry as the one of the first, if not the first hijabi model to walk runways and be part of big campaigns and grace 
the covers of famous fashion magazines. What led you on that path and how did that resonate with your family? I still think luck played a big role because there's a million plus girls that are just as deserving of this opportunity that actually pursued fashion. So for me, it was the complete opposite in terms of the way I got scouted was not the traditional path of getting scouted. It's interesting because the best thing my mom could have done for me is breaking my homecoming crown because I was focusing way too much on just friends and socializing. And, you know, when I became my town's first Muslim homecoming queen, my senior year of high school, like you couldn't tell me anything like to be picked by your classmates and then the whole school. It was a big deal for me because, again, there's never been a Muslim homecoming queen. We have listeners all over the world from over a hundred countries who may not even understand what a homecoming queen is. So can you tell us, like, what does that even signify in American high school? It's not a huge deal because like I said, it's not academically based. It's just, you know, the way I hate to say it, but it, it's pretty much a popularity contest. And so we were excluded as like Muslim students from entering or even being nominated. That was another thing too. It's like when people realize like, wow, Halima was nominated for homecoming queen. It brought students that never voted for homecoming court. They got up and started voting just because it was something new and different. And so my mom kind of discarding that crown and just basically saying you need to focus back on what's important, which is your education and coming out on top so you could go to school and pursue higher ed. Like that was always the focus for my mom and just family in general, because you educate a girl, she educates an entire village, you know, and that's really the path of breaking the generational curses. And so, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. But to me, senior year of high school, it it was a huge deal. And so after that crown went bye-bye, I was like, I am not going to speak back to my mom because that's just another thing with refugee children or anybody coming from just seeing their parents hustle and grind to put food on the table. Like, I'm not about to speak back to my mom. I'm not about to tell her that she hurt my feelings. So wait, you didn't really even explain what happened. Like, so when you won the crown, she broke it? Yes! (laughs) Because she saw I was all like about friends and I was staying out like after school instead of coming home to do my homework and studying. She saw that I was too busy with my friends and going to the mall and my whole persona changed because it was such a big deal to me. Got it. Okay, so then your mom kind of gives you a reality check and says, Halima, don't forget the importance of education. I mean, I've heard that from my immigrant parents too, right? Did you pursue an education? What did you study? I did. I was actually going to school, St. Cloud State University. I was pursuing international relations because I always wanted to work with the UN. And so right after I graduated, I was like, how could I knock out two birds with one stone? You know, how could I pursue scholarship opportunity for my college that my mom is going to be very pleased with while simultaneously getting my way and potentially replacing the crown that she broke with an even bigger crown, which led me to drum roll, Miss Minnesota USA, which changed my life overnight. 
I think some of us who didn't grow up in America, but we see these like beauty pageants. It's such a unique part of the American culture, really. But like for a hijabi wearing Muslim to enter a beauty pageant like that, that probably never happened before. Yeah, it's never been done before. And I just remember like even during the pageant as I'm competing, it garnered national media attention. I'm talking Fox News. Huffington Post sent a producer to come just make a short documentary about me competing. Think about it. I had just turned 19. I went in thinking, oh, you know, I could get scholarship money. And on top of that, maybe I could win another crown. That's what I went in for. But because there was national media attention, and I think just to keep your viewers in the in the loop, I think why that was so significant was it's never happened for Miss Universe to have, forget a hijab, a modest swimsuit. I was the first contestant to do that. And so let me give you a quick timeline. November 26, 27 of 2016, I compete for Miss Minnesota USA. I lose the pageant. But then that following Monday, Rihanna's team reached out to me via Instagram saying Rihanna's releasing her first ever makeup line. And so we want to cast you. And that following Tuesday or Wednesday, I was on a plane for the first time to California in LA to shoot for Fenty Beauty. We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast. This BOF podcast is brought to you by Cottonworks, a free online resource from Cotton Incorporated, equipping you with education, insight, and inspiration to design and manufacture outstanding cotton products. If you're in product development, you know that it's normal for the creation process to have a few challenges along the way. But did you know you could be making three avoidable mistakes when working with cotton? Cottonworks is here to help. Find out what mistakes you may be making and how to avoid them at cottonworks.com forward slash cotton products. I just want you to take us back to what was going through your head when you open your Instagram account and you have a message from Rihanna's team. The excitement I felt, I was incredibly honored just to even have the potential of meeting her. You know, Rihanna is somebody I looked up to so much and I still do. And it was just like, this cannot be my life. This cannot be happening. I felt incredibly honored to be among the first, I think it was five other models. So six of us, you know, it was just such an amazing way to enter this industry and especially to work with a black woman. So it was just incredible. And then that same week, I was on a plane to New York City to meet with IMG models. But before that meeting even happened, Kareen Rothfield, who, you know, is my fashion fairy godmother. I love that woman so much. She opened so many doors for me. And it was incredible that in one week, I got to shoot Fenty Beauty campaign in LA. And then to go to New York to basically shoot for Kareen's CR fashion book, which then she put me on the cover. And then I met with IMG and then they signed me and then I became the first ever hijab wearing model. All at the age of 19? 19. Wow. And, you know, I think sometimes, Halima, when people go through that quick rise to fame and to 
huge opportunities with big global stars, the most famous modeling agency, one of the most respected fashion editors in the whole world, Karine Reutfeld. You kind of can lose a sense of who you are a little bit, right? And I think, you know, you were talking about the fact that when you got the crown in high school, your mom sat you down and said, you know, remember education, education, education. Remember where you came from. Remember how hard we've worked to get you here. What was it like when, you know, when once the kind of initial burst of attention happened, then you got into the grind of being a model. And because of your religious beliefs and your faith, you were no ordinary model. It's not just a visual thing, right? It's not just that you wear a hijab. It's that that comes with a certain set of beliefs that you wanted to be respected and understood by an industry that had never really encountered a model like you, that had never really understood or really embraced the idea of modest fashion. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? I'm grateful that I was thrown in super fast. I wish I was more prepared for the journey that I was about to embark on. But it also, I didn't realize how privileged I was to even have a shot at this career of being a model. And so I didn't have to do the casting calls. I didn't, it made me feel like my journey was the same journey that all models go through. Do you see what I'm saying? Because there was such a high level of respect for me. I was probably the first ever person to include a hijab clause into my contracts and always traveled with a female chaperone. I've never traveled anywhere alone. And so that added more protection for me because my mom was like, there's no way you're going to be doing modeling and traveling all by yourself. She was like, absolutely not. And so I got used right away having my own private dressing room. Again, that was something that shocked me that it, it wasn't an industry norm to have private dressing spaces. And so I found myself during Milan Fashion Week, for example, right? I would have my own box and then the other models had clothing racks separating them from the public, separating them from the photographers. Like they'd have to change with just racks and like male stylists coming in and out, just no sense of privacy. And for me, coming from this guarded Muslim background where we all dress modestly, like walking in and seeing girls quite literally naked, it made me feel kind of icky about the industry I was in because you walk into Walmart and guess what? There's private dressing spaces. So it just blew my mind that that was not an industry norm at that time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I think things are starting to change a little backstage, and I think... They're trying to separate the more public spaces from the spaces where the models are getting ready. But for years, models were just forced to dress and undress out in the open. So it's interesting that you see that you had kind of a privileged experience because of your specific clauses in your contract and you know the way people were trying to be respectful of you. What was the highest, most memorable moment for you in the course of your early stages of your modeling career? I mean, the best thing I could have done for myself is not just see myself as a model. Granted, it was so incredible to go from never wearing makeup, essentially, to now working with some of the world's biggest makeup artists, to work with creative directors that have worked with all the big fashion houses. It was just night and day to the experience that I've seen all my life. But I guess I've had multiple high moments in my career, but they all, Imran, are centered around my activism work. I found that some of the most fulfilling campaigns that I've gotten to be a part or photo shoot always tended to be when it wasn't just about me. It wasn't just Halima, right? It was sharing stories that I brought from the refugee camp, sharing stories of other incredible Muslim women in all different fields. It just was incredible. I found that my work was more meaningful when it was tied to giving back. Yeah. 
Jay Shetty, who spoke at Voices last year, he talked about when you can kind of turn your talent and your career into the service of others. That's when you you kind of get real fulfillment and happiness. And I really think what you just said really kind of aligns with that perspective, which is if you have a platform like the one that you were given and you can really use that platform in service of a cause or a group or a community that's bigger than just yourself, that can be really meaningful. Yeah, but I I do want to come on here for the first time to just apologize to my friends in the fashion industry because when you're young, I just turned 25 now, so maybe my frontal lobe is fully developed now, but I do want to give my sincere apology to the friends that I have in the industry that maybe have never even done anything besides support me, uplift me, And I feel like because of my own experiences of seeing extreme, extreme poverty, it almost made me look at the fashion industry with disdain. It made me like almost be angry with the high fashion industry because I saw the kids who didn't have shoes, didn't have a pair of pants. You know, I saw that background. And today I'm wearing these expensive clothes I'm doing all these things that were not in line with how I grew up. And I don't know, maybe it's like survivor's guilt, but I think that's where some of my anger came from, was just seeing both extremes and never seeing the middle ground. Yeah, no, I can't even imagine like the excesses of the fashion industry. We were talking about how far away Minnesota is from fashion, and then you rightfully pointed out that actually this refugee camp in northern Kenya, it's even further away, right? It's like whiplash. It's like, how did I go from seven years old without shoes in a refugee camp to marching down a runway in Milan Fashion Week, you know, wearing all these expensive clothes? Is is that dissonance what caused you to decide to leave? Because that's what happened, right? Two years ago, you know, I, I remember waking up and just seeing all these headlines everywhere the BBC and like it it made global news that you were leaving fashion and you know you and I had built this really beautiful relationship at that point because you'd come to voices and you'd done that session with Tim Blanks and Karine Reutfeld and I was so happy for you because this it seemed like you you're from the outside you know as your friend it seemed like you were surfing this experience of success and you were pioneering spaces for Muslim women, you're really carving a new path. But inside, it sounds like you were struggling. Imran, first of all, I do want to thank you because do you, I, I never even shared this with you, but you were literally the first person to send me an email. I don't know if you remember, but you sent me this kind email saying, please let me know if I could do anything. I'm here to support you as a friend. And you even apologized, Imran. You said, if I've ever done anything to make you feel uncomfortable, like, please let me know. And it was just crazy when I got your email because I was like, Imran, you are a friend to me. You know, you're somebody who supported me from day one. You shared your platform and quite literally brought me to one of fashion's biggest stages, not as a model, but as a speaker. You know, I'll never forget sitting with Tim Blanks and Kareen and like having that entire conversation centering about 
modesty and what it means for me to be the first hijab wearing model and even sharing this piece of my story that's not related to fashion. Being a refugee is not the coolest thing to share in the world, in fact. Even when I was growing up, it was a big source of shame. And that's another thing too, Imran, like I went from never discussing that part of my story to all of a sudden I'm giving BBC sit downs talking about the camp and like it just it did something to me mentally do you want to take a pause halima yes why don't you take a minute like i don't am am i pushing too hard if i can no no this is so therapeutic and i'm ready for this conversation i wasn't ready two years ago in fact i wasn't even ready for this conversation six months ago but because i've taken the time to self-invest these last two years away from the industry, I don't want you to think I've just been sitting around. I now have 11 months of therapy under my belt. I'm so much wiser and like stepping into womanhood because when I started, I was just a girl. I was a girl from a small town in Minnesota who has this background of growing up in a refugee camp. But I realized through this journey of self-discovery that my story has a purpose. And although sometimes it's very emotionally taxing, but it's important. And I need to turn that pain into power. That is so powerful, Halima. And I think for someone who's 25 to understand that about life now, that's amazing. It took me much longer to figure that out, you know, to to turn my own pain into a sense of power and purpose. And I think the fact that you're on that part of your journey so soon, you're still pioneering. You're still pushing new directions. So in these two years that you've been away, you've been doing therapy, you've been thinking about things. What have you learned? I learned that I could be unhinged sometimes. (laughs) That's the beauty of being young, right? Especially in this generation I'm living in. I'm so grateful that I can even sit down with the founder of Business of Fashion. It's one of the biggest fashion publications. And what I love about Business of Fashion especially, it's not just focused on modeling and campaigns. It's actually on the business side. And that's what I wanted to step into. Modeling was fun. It was exciting. Don't get me wrong. I've had experiences that I couldn't even dream about. So I don't want to come from an ungrateful place, but I do want to be a fair person. The truth is, Imran, I can't sit at the top and be happy and content just because my own career is flourishing and is doing good. Because the truth is, just like my background as a refugee, being amongst the 1%, I now found myself in the 1%, but on the extreme side. And so there's only probably about 20 models that are successful, that are earning good income, that are sustainable. But for the 99%, they're just trying to make it by. And sometimes, you know, they do months and months, years and years of work in this industry only to be paid in clothing. So this is another side of our industry that we need to talk about. It's not just about having a diverse catwalk or having that campaign that featured three plus models or having a cover shoot with only dark skin models, you know, no shade to anybody that's doing that. But that is all I think part of this performative activism that we're doing. And it's just so surface level. And I want to see these mega houses. Let's talk about the number of women 
in your board of directors. Let's talk about the amount of Black creatives that you've hired, not just as models and figureheads, but people behind the scenes, people in the creative room, people in the writer's room. So it's about amplifying and actually giving not just equity, but that opportunity to marginalized communities and the people who've worked extremely hard to break out of that cycle. And so recently you got in touch with me to to let me know that you were kind of making a comeback and re-entering the fashion industry, this time with CAA. But now you said you were going to do it on your own terms. What does that mean in practice and which parts of the industry are you going to be involved with? Yeah. So let me give you an example. I deeply enjoyed being in the Tory Burch family, but I love that it wasn't on her runway. She invited me a seat at the table. Her and I had this candid conversation at the Tory Burch Foundation, and it was all about how can we amplify the voices of young women and women in general that are, you know, embarking on this journey of creating their own businesses. And so it's all about mentorship. It's all about uplifting them. And so that was one experience that I really enjoyed. Another piece that I really love about the industry is the friendships that I've created with some of the most powerful people in the world. And I think having that cosign, even after I left the industry, Tommy Hilfiger himself personally came out to support me. Him giving me the cosign really solidified the message that I wanted to get across, you know? And so that was an example of him showing up for me as a friend, as somebody that supports me. And so I want to thank my friends in the industry who've not just supported me when I was at the top of the game, but also were there for me when I left, when I said, you know what, it's time for a break and, and I'm quitting and I'm not going back on my words, Amran. I'm not going back to this industry as a model. I'm somebody who has a message, who wants her voice heard. And those are the only partnerships that I will accept. If our values are not aligned, then I'm sorry. I wish you the best and I'm going to embark on the projects that bring me so much joy and passion. Is that to say, Halima, that that wasn't the case before? That you were finding yourself in situations where you're having to compromise your values or your values weren't aligned with these brands that were using you as a face or asking you to do their shows? I mean, there's a level of tokenism. And especially for me, it was exciting for the industry. And like, look at how much control I had in the very beginning. I was 19. I've never worked in fashion. I don't know much about this world to this day, if I'm being honest with you, because it's not the world that I came from and it's not a world that I naturally understand. And so for me, like I said before, I may be a lot of things, but unfair is something I've never been and it's something that I will continue to never be. And so it wasn't necessarily that I was being mistreated, it was the fact that I was seeing. So many people just so hungry for a spot in this industry. And it breaks my heart because those are the people that get used and abused and discarded and they move on to the, ne the next group of people. And so I didn't want to be in that work environment. I didn't want to be in that part of the fashion industry. But what I do love and what I do appreciate is having the creative freedom. For example, 
I'm working with Marinisa, not just as their first ever global ambassador, but this is a company that's pioneering in the modest fashion community. They are the largest modest fashion retailer in the world. And so with them, when they approached me, I made it a point to put into my contract that I would have 100% creative control over my collection of hijabs. And with that, I made sure to have two Muslim fashion designers co-work with me to make this collection come to life. Because why? I don't want to talk the talk and not walk the walk. I'm not a big designer. I'm somebody who is always willing to pull up a seat at the table for the next woman. So we need to get to a place where it's not just about having a hijabi on your runway. It's about making it a safe industry for all. Not just the models who grace the cover of the biggest fashion publications, but the young 16-year-old that is so excited to learn about fashion, that wants to model, that has that natural passion and dream. How do we make this a safe place for her? So what advice do you have for those women out there who are so hungry to be part of this industry? If you were going to share your wisdom now that you're the ripe old age of 25, (laughs) what would you say to them? Well, I couldn't say anything, Imran. That's the problem. I couldn't say anything as I'm reaping the rewards of my own career as a model. So I wanted to physically show them that you need to be willing to walk away the minute you're uncomfortable. And that's something that's not talked about. Imran, name me two high fashion models that were successful that quit the industry the way that I quit the industry. Yeah. It doesn't happen. And that's the problem. And that's what these young girls and men need to understand is you cannot be willing to accept any and all forms of treatment. Like you need to speak up, not just for yourself, but you need to be an advocate for your fellow models, right? We need to have a community where we're all looking out for each other. And that includes the people at the top, the models that found success. How could we make it so everybody feel safe, feel heard, feel like if if a shoot is uncomfortable, that they can speak up for themselves and not have their career tarnished or, or taken away because that's the biggest fear. It's like this dirty secret that we all know, but it's swept under the rug because nobody wants to speak up. Nobody wants to lose their spot in this industry. And that's the fatal flaw. There's so much to learn from you, Halima. You have wisdom, That is far beyond your years. And I'm never going to forget. There's certain elements of this conversation I'm never going to forget. From the scars and the smiles to turning pain into power and purpose. That's a lesson for everybody. That's a lesson for all of us. And I want to thank you for being so vulnerable and open with us today. Because I think this is going to be a conversation that really impacts a lot of people. You've like really held up a mirror to the industry in a way that very, very few people are able to do. So thank you for chatting with me. Thank you for always being your amazing energetic self. And um, yeah, just thank you. Imran, this was such an honor and, and a privilege to talk with you and to share this more intimate human side of me and my journey And this is just the beginning. Like you so eloquently said, we need to continue having these conversations. 
Well, I wish you all the well. Enjoy the cold. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I look forward to crossing paths with you very soon. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 